Good morning, Pennington Park. It is so good to be here with you. I have the privilege of being able to share with you it's one of the, my most favorite things to do, which is to talk about missions to churches and to be able to talk about what it is that God has given us the privilege and responsibility of being a part of. And I am really grateful for the opportunity to be here with all of you this morning. My name is Jason Candle, as that has already been mentioned, and my family and I, we spent uh, we spent 10 years in the Middle East for working in church planting among refugee communities there, primarily with Palestinians at the beginning, and then the Syrian war started, so there were lots of Syrians that we were working with. Uh, I just want to introduce myself to you just so you have a little bit of a context to who we are. My, I, I have four boys. My wife, Kim, and I, are, we, we, we are privileged to have four boys. My oldest is going to be a junior at Cedarville this year. My second son will be entering his freshman year in university in Mississippi. And my other two, we have a high schooler and a junior higher as well. And this is just a, a who they are picture of them. I grew up here in Indianapolis. My parents go to this church. And I am really thankful to be a part of this opportunity that you have to be able to talk about what God is doing around the world. You know, when we lived in Jordan, we got to experience a lot of beauty. We got to experience some of the most amazing, literally, wonders of the world that we got to, to be a part of while we were there. We got to see amazing and important biblically historical sites. You know, we got to, to, to stand on the top of Mount Nebo where Moses saw the promised land before the Israelites went in. And we got to see incredible beauty, too, of just the natural beauty of places like Wadi Rum, where they are filming just about every sci-fi movie that is in existence right now. But one of the other things that we got to do was got to develop a heart for the people and got to learn about who they are. And I got to tell you, there is a pressure as a missionary coming into a church opportunity to be able to introduce yourself, that there's a pressure that you feel that you're supposed to greet people in the language that you've learned while you were living overseas. And I'm always really hesitant to do that because Arabic is such an angry sounding language. Anabahebak means I love you. Shu akhbarak means what's going on? I don't know if you've heard that there's some tension happening in places in the Middle East. I think it's just a misunderstanding of tone. People just aren't, aren't getting it. So we lived in the Middle East for 10 years. The Lord brought us back. I was working as a missions pastor for a few years, and then God opened the door for us to work in the uh, Global Outreach International, and I am the Vice President of Global Outreach International, and we work to send and care for missionaries as they are working to share the gospel with the nations. And God has given us the privilege of being able to do that and given me the privilege of being a part of what he's doing around the world in, in those ways. And, you know, the, 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 we're based in Tupelo, Mississippi. And so in addition to the cross-cultural life that I lived while we were living overseas, now we've gone into a new cross-cultural ministry living in Mississippi. And I used to live in this place where people said things that sounded really mean but were actually quite lovely. And now I live in a place where people say things that sound really lovely but are actually kind of mean. I, I don't know if you know this, but having your heart blessed is not a great thing. And we have gotten our heart blessed a lot while we've been living in Tupelo. But uh, Global Outreach started uh, about 50 years ago as an agricultural mission, primarily in, in Latin America, but now we have about 300 missionaries working in 49 countries around the world. 
and we get to be a part of seeing God's mission go forward to the nations. And so as we talk about this idea, and as you are celebrating this time in the in emphasis of your church in reaching the world, we need to ask ourselves this question, what is God's mission? If we're going to be a part of what it is that he's doing, it's really critical that we understand what it is that he's trying to accomplish. And so the first part of this, the first answer to this question, the first part of the answer to this question we see replete through Scripture. I mean, it's over and over and over again. When we talk about the motivations of God, what is it that he's after? What is it that he wants in this world? The first thing that we need to recognize and understand is that God is seeking worshipers. That's the first part of understanding what God's mission is. We see that over and over again in Scripture. We see it in the Old Testament. In Malachi 1.11, it talks about the fact that from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord will be great among the nations, he says. He is interested in seeing his name great from the rising of the sun to the setting all around the globe. In Habakkuk 2.14, it says, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, that's a weird expression to say, the waters cover the sea, like wherever the sea is, that's where waters are. But that's exactly what he means. As the waters cover the sea, in other words, there's not a place where the knowledge of the glory of the Lord is not known. God is seeking worshipers. He, we see it in, in John chapter 4 in the New Testament where Jesus is standing with the woman at the well and he says to her that the Lord is speaking, the Lord is seeking worshipers who will seek him in spirit and in truth. God is seeking worshipers for himself. Now, I don't know about you, but the first time I heard that idea expressed, it bothered me. Like that's a, that's, that, that's a weird thing to think that God is seeking worshipers. Because if we were to relate in any way to that, or if, or if we knew any human being that was primarily concerned with the renown of his own name, that would be an obnoxious person that we wouldn't want to spend any time with. And yet with God, it's somehow okay. And it occurred to me uh, many years ago that, that the reason that God can be okay with that is because, well, first of all, he's God and we're not. But it occurred to me that there was a, a decent illustration. About 27 years ago now, I uh, proposed to my wife, right? So she grew up in Southern California. And that summer that I, was I had decided to propose to her, I saved up all my nickels and pennies, bought the best ring that I could afford, and stuck it in my pocket and flew out to Southern California to go meet her and her family. And, you know, I was walking through the airport terrified with the fact that I had this expensive ring in my pocket. And so I'm walking around with my hand in my pocket constantly just like, it's still there, right? It's still there because I was really concerned about this. So I fly out to California and we had this lovely time. We went out on a date that night. We went and saw a movie and, and I thought that this was an excellent choice for what I was about to do. We saw the original Mission Impossible movie that, that night. And so we took a stroll around a duck pond and then I stood up behind the picnic table as we, we sat there and got down on one knee and I held this ring out to her and asked her to marry me. And she said, oh my goodness, this is happening, this is happening, I can't believe this is happening, and, and what seemed like an eternity, she finally said yes. And she put the ring on the finger, and then she took the box that this ring came in and just fawned all over it. I mean, 
it was a nice box. It was white leather wrapped. It was hexagonally shaped. It, you opened it up, it had that new box smell. I, I'm really, really, really thankful that some of you laughed when I said that because if you didn't think that I was joking about the fact that you would be insulting her intelligence, right? Like she didn't care about the box at all. She cared about the ring. She put the ring on her finger. The ring was the thing that she showed all of her friends. In fact, I, had, you know, I got to see her in her native habitat in Southern California. And I, we met at Cedarville in the, in the, in the Midwest, and, and it was like she reverted back to all of her valley girl days. And the, the next day, the, we, after we got engaged, she was on the phone talking to her friends, and she was all, seriously? And he was all, I did this. And I was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, oh, my goodness, I don't even know who this person is. But... She said yes, and she valued the ring, and she was telling people about the ring because the ring was the thing that had value. The box didn't mean anything. And it occurred to me that that is exactly what it is like with God and us, that God wants to give us the greatest thing that he could possibly give us, which is himself. He wants to give us the ring. He wants to give us the most valuable thing in the universe. And for him to give us anything other than himself, for him to give us anything other than the best thing that he could possibly give us would be unloving in the same way that if I gave my wife anything that, I, that, that was less than the best that I could possibly afford, it would be treacherous and unloving. For God to do that to us, to give us something other than himself would be unloving. In the same way, it's to our benefit. It's, to, it's a blessing to, be, to receive that gift of himself. And so for him to be seeking worshipers, for that to be the thing that is motivating him, for him to want to seek worshipers in this world, it is to our benefit and it is to his glory. I love the way that C.S. Lewis talks about this idea and he says that mankind is far too easily pleased. We could have a holiday at the sea, but we're content playing in mud puddles. For us to value anything other than him is as foolish as valuing the box over the ring. It's as foolish as valuing and, and being content playing in mud puddles when you could have a holiday at the sea. God's mission is to seek worshipers. That's the thing that he's about. And we need to understand and recognize that it's not just because he's this petulantly insecure being in the sky that only wants people to constantly give him positive affirmation. The reason that he wants that is because that is him demonstrating his love for us. He's giving us the greatest thing in the universe. And he wants us to value his goodness and greatness accurately. He wants us to value them because he is the greatest thing in the universe. God's mission is to seek worshipers, and we get the blessing of being a part of that. Being in his presence, understanding and being in that relationship with him allows us, allows us to experience his blessing. And there's lots of blessings that we get to experience in this life. Right? Like the, we, blessing is something that our culture talks about a lot. You go into Hobby Lobby or Michael's and you see signs that talk about blessings. If you get on social media, my kids love it when I talk about all of the hip things. Like they, they like it when I say my, my fit is dripping. As, as he's like, my boys are just like, oh, please don't talk like that. 
But like, you know, you go on social media and you see, you see the hashtag blessed, right? Like blessing is a big deal in our culture and our society. We all want to be blessed. And that's another part of this, this understanding God's mission and understanding what it is that he's about is that he wants to bless us. He wants to bless us, but we need to anchor it into what his word tells us the blessing is supposed to be about. And we see that in Psalm 67. So we've already read that this morning. I want to read it again because it starts off deliciously. In verse one, it says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Man, who doesn't want that? God, bless us. Please bless us. Make your face to shine upon us. That your way may be known on the earth. Your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This reality of what we see in Psalm 67 is connecting the idea of this blessing that we want and is connecting it to the renown and fame of God. God's mission is that he's seeking worshipers and he blesses for his namesake. The psalmist here wasn't asking God to bless him so that his life could be more comfortable. The psalmist wasn't asking God to bless him and to see the earth yield its increase, to see abundance flow on the earth so that he could experience an easier life. He was expressing this reality and this desire for God to bless him so that the nations would know him, so that the world would understand who he is, his goodness and his greatness, that they would start to value him accurately in the same way that we're supposed to. Understanding this psalm, we we need to look at a couple of important points. One of those points is this concept of face, that the blessing is connected to what God says here. And he says, the psalmist says, make us face to shine upon us. That word face is from the Hebrew word panim, and it's literally translated as the presence of God. It's actually translated that way in Genesis 3, verse 8, when it talks about Adam and Eve walking with God in the cool of the garden, that the presence of God was with them. That's what the psalmist is asking for. May God's presence bless us. May we know him. May we know God in his ways. May we experience his salvation. May we experience the peace and justice and prosperity that he brings. That's what Psalm 67 is saying. But another important part of understanding Psalms is to understand that Hebrew poetry is a lot of symmetry and it's a lot of parallelism. That's what they call it in seminary classes that you take. And there's this really interesting thing that, you know, if you want to get into the weeds and nerd out on biblical study, it's called chiastic structure, right? So it's the Greek letter chi, which is the, the, an X and so it's, it has this, they, they make this shape because the first part of the psalm and the last part of the psalm parallel each other. And then the second part of the psalm and the second to last part of the psalm parallel each other. That's a common structure in Hebrew poetry. When you get to the middle of it, 
That is the primary focus of the psalm. And you get to the middle of this one in verse 4. It's, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. The psalmist understood that God's blessing that he was seeking had to be transmitted and translated to the nations. Let the nations know him and know how good he is. And it's important for us to recognize that this theme is seen over and over and over again in the scriptures. God's blessing is connected to the nations knowing him and knowing how good and great he is. So as we seek to reach the world, as we seek to have the heart of God, we need to ask ourselves, am I seeking these blessings for myself or because I want others to know and worship him? This has always been the plan of God. He blesses to be a blessing so that he may be glorified. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, when God called Abram to go to this place, this new place to cross a cultural boundary, he promised him this amazing blessing. He said, in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. He's, he blessed Abram so that Abram would be a blessing to the nations. He blessed him with all of these, this prosperity. And the Bible makes it very clear in Galatians chapter 3 that the blessing of the promise that God gave to Abram is transmitted to us through our faith in Christ that we get to be partakers of that presence of God, of knowing him and his goodness and greatness. But that blessing that we experience has to be transmitted to the nations. God has given us that blessing, and if we need to ask ourselves, why are we asking for these blessings too? So we ask this question, what is God's mission? God is seeking worshipers, and he has a heart to bless for his namesake. And he wants to invite others. He wants to invite people. He wants to invite us into that blessing. So understanding what it is that we're trying to do as a church has to be anchored in what God's word talks about in these things. There's a, one of the standout features that we see in Psalm 67 and Genesis 12 is that in both of these passages, this blessing is attached to the idea that it's supposed to be a conduit to the to others, to the world around us. God blessed Abram to be a blessing to the nations. The psalmist is asking God to be blessed in order for the nations to be affected. I want to pause here and take a moment to reflect about what that really means for you and me. Because I think that there is a much deeper heart issue at stake here. And we need to approach this truth with more than just intellectual assent, saying, yeah, I agree with that. Let's take a look at another example in Luke chapter 4 to help us understand what I mean by that. In Luke chapter 4, start, we'll start in verse 14. If you want to turn in your Bibles there, we're going to spend a few moments in Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 14. I love this passage. It's very dramatic. And so I, I get a kick out of how Luke portrayed this story. In verse 14, it says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. 
All right, so that's the context that we have here. Jesus is going back to Galilee, his home, home base, and reports about all of the crazy things that people had been seeing Jesus been doing, had been spreading about him. In verse 16, and he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. All right, so let's just sit, pause there for a second and set the scene. Jesus is back in his hometown, and as was his custom, he goes to the synagogue. And the synagogue ruler hands him the scroll, and he opens the scroll, and he finds this very, very, very important passage from the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, who had written about what the Messiah, the long-awaited Jewish Messiah, was going to do and what he was going to be like. Now, the Jews understood this completely, that this reference in Isaiah was talking about this one future Messiah that they were looking forward to. The one that was promised back in Genesis 3 that would be this, the, the head crusher of the serpent. This was the one that they were waiting for, and so they were excited about this. And it was in, con it was in connection to the things that they had been hearing about what Jesus was doing throughout the region when he came back to Galilee. And so you can imagine this moment of Jesus being back in his hometown reading from the prophet Isaiah this really powerful and important passage that they all recognized of the blessings that were going to be a result of what the Messiah was there to do. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him, anointed to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Man, who doesn't want that? That's amazing. Yes, bring it on. That's what they were saying. This very dramatic moment in verse 20, it says, and he rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. <laughs> just, you can just imagine that moment. They're just sitting at the edges of their seat. Like Jesus, you know, first of all, like, well, he just read the passage. He didn't even say anything about it. He rolls the thing back up, hands it down, sits down. This is weird. They're just like waiting with bated breath. Like, what is he going to say? All in the synagogue, the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. This is an amazing scene. He's back in his hometown. He reads from this prophet Isaiah, expresses the fact that he is the Messiah. He claims to be, he declared himself to be the Messiah. Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The ultimate fulfillment of the blessing that the Israelites were expecting which was communicated in this prophecy, Jesus said, I'm the one that's going to do it. Extraordinary scene. Fast forward just a few verses, right? So from verse 22a, when all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. This is like, they're excited about that. Verse 28, this is what it says. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. 
what in the world happened between verses 22 and verse 28? What happened that they all were marveling at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth to the point where they want to literally throw the guy off of a cliff? What, what happened in this moment? Well, you see it, what happens in verse 22b. You, you pick it back up and it says, And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless, you will quote me to this, you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. It is clear from the context of this passage that the stories that Jesus alluded to, that he touched on a racist or ethnocentrist nerve. Because the people that he referred to in the stories that he shared were not Jews. They were Gentiles. The widow was a Gentile Phoenician woman. Naaman was a Gentile enemy combatant. Both were despised and considered at best the other and at worst enemies. And yet Jesus made this direct connection of the blessing of the Messiah to the nations. And it was for that reason that the Israelites that were living in Nazareth at the time decided to want to chuck him off of the cliff. Now, before we judge the Israelites too harshly, I'd like us to take a moment and reflect on our own heart attitudes. This is a tricky thing because as I stand here and say these things and talk about the incompatibility of racism with the heart of God, I, I doubtless, everyone in this room agrees with that. I imagine the people of Nazareth probably felt similarly. They would have felt the same way. But blind spots are blind spots for a reason. If we knew that they were there, we would deal with them. So I'd like to ask us to apply this passage in a practical but spiritual way. I want us to approach the throne room of God Almighty and ask Him to reveal any unclean thing in us and in our hearts. I want us to ask Him to help us repent of any attitude, fear, prejudice, distaste for the other in our lives. Asian, African-American, Hispanic, Arab, Muslim, Buddhist, Mormon, drug addicts, homeless, people our society identifies as criminals, whoever the other is. If we want to reach the world with the beautiful blessings of being united to Christ through faith, we must have the heart of God for the nations. We need to align ourselves with God's heart. It is only when we expose those attitudes that are deep within our hearts 
those attitudes and fears to the light that we can experience the grace that God has for us. We need to cry out in confession and repentance like the psalmist in 139 where he said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. After confessing and repenting, we can have the heart of God to experience the blessing and invite others into that blessing of being a part of his kingdom. So when we talk about this idea of what is God's mission, he wants to seek, he's seeking worshipers. He's seeking worshipers and inviting us into the blessing of being a part of his kingdom. And he has this heart to bless the nations. God is seeking worshipers to invite people into his blessing among every nation, tribe, and tongue. And we, the church, have the privilege and the joy of being a part of sharing the good news of the gospel of the kingdom with the nations. We have the joy and privilege of being a part of what God is doing to invite others into the blessing of being united with him. This, I was told a long time ago that when you give a message, you're supposed to have you know, three points in a poem. So I at least have the poem this morning. I want to talk about and share with you what this kingdom of God is like. What is the good news that we have? The blessing of being united with God. This is what it is. Reunited brothers and nurturing mothers. Bent and broken bodies restored. Orphans home and unignored. Equality for the sexes, no squandering of excess. Justice present on every street, people standing on their own two feet. Solutions to problems created, all slaves emancipated. Husbands and wives bonded till death, praise and honor flow with every breath. Cancer, disease, and addiction all broken. Love grows deeper with each word spoken. Homelessness afflicts no longer, and families together grow stronger. Dead relationships resurrected, the weak and vulnerable protected. Peace in every nation, love and no condemnation. Warring soldiers no longer needed, victory to the king has been conceded. Curse of sin, death, and hell defeated. Christ's death and resurrection completed. Eternally through faith, King Jesus saves, eternally satisfied, resurrected from the grave. Praise be to him, Lord of lords, King of kings. Lift our hearts, let us sing, hallelujah. Hallelujah to our God be praised. Thankful, humble, this prayer we raise. Hallowed and honored be your name. To you, renown and eternal fame. Your heavenly kingdom, let it come. Let earth and life therein be overcome. Amen. This is, this is the good news of the gospel. This is the future hope that we have to look forward to. This is the blessing of what it means to be united to God through Christ and the faith that we have in him. And we, the church, get, have an opportunity to extend that invitation to the nations around us, to extend this good news. I'm so, I love, I'm so thankful for this hope that we have. What it says in Revelation 21, when John sees this revelation of what the future is going to be like, and he says, he says he heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. 
He says that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death will be no more. There will be no mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, the dwelling place of God is with man. We will be with him together forever. Praise God that that is the hope that we have as believers in Jesus. And that is the hope that we get to extend to the world around us. So if we're going to do this, if we're going to be able to reach the nations, if we're going to be able to, we have to align our hearts with the heart of God. This is the good news that we've been given to share. We have the privilege of experiencing the blessing of God, and we have the opportunity to share that blessing with the nations. It is the mandate of the church. It's the mandate of this church. Jesus says in Matthew 24, He says, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. The Lord might be leading in your heart specifically to go, to join the team that's working in Sudan to train national missionaries to be able to share the gospel. That God might be leading in your heart and prompting in your heart to go to the nations, to go to these unreached and unengaged people groups around the world, to see these 7,000 people groups that need to have no gospel witness, have no one that speaks their language that understands and has experienced the blessing of what it means to be united to God in faith. And if the Lord is leading in your heart and he's prompting in your heart, even if it's just an inkling of like, I might be interested in that, please come talk to me. I might have an organization that could connect you to help you along the way. But beyond that, we all have the responsibility to be a part of what God is doing. We all have this desire and this need to align our hearts with his. And if we understand that God's mission is to seek worshipers, to invite people into the blessing of being in relationship with him among every nation, tribe, and tongue, we need to be quick to confess our own fears, our own idols, the things that are preventing us from being able to unite with him appropriately. So let us all leave this place uniting our hearts to the Lord's heart and use our blessing to be a blessing so that the Lord will be made known among the nations. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your grace and your mercy and the blessing of being a part of the future hope that we have. Lord, thank you for what you tell us in your word about who you are and about what we get to experience, Lord, that the dwelling place of God will be with man and that you will wipe away every tear from our eyes and that you will make all things new. Lord, thank you for that hope. Lord, there are millions, billions of people around the world that don't have that hope yet. And Lord, you're prompting in our hearts to be a part of that. Lord, to pray that you will send laborers to the harvest. Lord, to give generously so that national missionaries can reach their own people, Lord, so that international missionaries and cross-cultural missionaries can share the gospel. 
and Lord, to go themselves. Lord, I pray that you will engage our hearts to the ends that you desire. But Lord, I also pray that you will reveal any unclean thing in our lives. Lord, I pray that for myself. God, help me to see ways that I don't see the others around me the way that you do. Lord, that I see them as scenery in the background or as machinery providing me some service. But Lord, that they are people who have been created in the image of God. Lord, I pray that you will convict me in my own heart. Lord, and align my heart with yours. But God, I pray that you will do these things, Lord, Lord, knowing that we can't muster the energy on our own, that we need you to give us your Holy Spirit to be able to do these things. Lord, I pray that you will do that. But God, more, most importantly, I pray that you will engage our hearts to love you more today, to love you supremely and to believe you completely. Lord, I pray that you will help us to, Lord, find our joy, our satisfaction, our significance, our security in you, not in the size of our bank accounts, Lord, not in the comfort of our lives, not in the thermostat, Lord, but that we'll find it in you. Forgive us, Lord, for ways that we don't do that. And I pray that you, by your spirit, will engage our hearts to line up with yours. And I pray for this church, Lord, that you will continue to generously provide for this church so that they can be a blessing to the nations. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.